Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening and go Cougs. Hey, happy holidays from the Wise Guys. I'm Dave McCann. This is one of the best weeks of the year, Christmas week. We hope that you're spending it with your family and friends and know that we are too. So instead of a regular show and podcast, we've got something we think is going to be pretty cool. A bunch of clips from some of our interviews so far on the Wise Guys. We think you'll like them and we remind you that those interviews in their entirety are available at ysguys.com. So let's begin with our first clip from our interview with two BYU legends, Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young and Elder Vi Sikahema, former BYU star who's serving as a general authority for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here is their take on how each of them saved the other's careers. I don't know if you guys, uh, I'll tell you the, the, a real quick story. Um, that I had a role in Steve going to San Francisco. I, I may have shared this with Blaine. And Steve will remember the stories that happen as it rolls out. Steve is, you know, he, he's in Tampa and we're, my rookie year, we're playing, I think it may have been uh, Steve's second year there after he left the USFL, but we're, we're playing the last uh, game of the season in St. Louis. And uh, and both teams are like three and, you know, three oh, and 12. Going oh, my that gosh. Last game. You remember yeah. this, Steve? Yeah, you set, a, and you, had a, you set an NFL record that day. I watched you because we, we were both – Whoever lost was going to get the, the, the first pick. choice, and exactly. so our team wouldn't. T- you you returned like four punts for touchdowns. <laughs> nobody would tackle because they had to lose. And I set an NFL record that day. You're right. I forgot about that. I returned. So I re- amazing that day. I returned two punts for touchdowns in the second quarter, and we win twenty-one seventeen. And, and Steve had, you know, all, all Steve had was uh, was James Wilder, maybe one, you know, probably one of the top three backs in the NFL. Yes. There's no one else. There was no one else on that team. So, because we won, people uh, in the organization were so mad that we won that game because they wanted the first pick. Because they wanted off of your kicks. I know where you're going. If you hadn't returned those kicks, we would have won, and then you would have the first pick, and I would have not gotten out of Tampa because they wouldn't have taken Vinny Testaverde because Ray Perkins hated lefties and hated southpaws, and I wouldn't have gotten to San Francisco. I do owe you my life. I owe you my life. Oh, I forgot about that. I do owe you everything. Oh, my gosh. Steve and I have my life. I forgot about that. When Steve writes his next book, Pro Bowl as a rookie, they tear up my contract and would pay me 
the however whoever Escalator. was the, making the most. So we made you, team. we made you rich, and you made. And, me. <laughs> you guys are best friends. Hamo did it for me all I the way back. <laughs> I'm glad we were uh, able my, my, in, in 2023. Like, but Vi to, told me this story before. I didn't realize that you that Steve didn't even know this story, Vi. I can't even well, believe I Steve I didn't know I it. Know it deep down before, he was there. He knows the story all together. Because we had to lose to get that pick, and that we lost, and he made it happen. And I think the Cardinals were trying to lose too. Nobody. It was amazing. <laughs> the line of scrimmage was like no one really moved, and then <laughs> kind of like fell back. Nobody, Nobody's was, covering I, punts. Nobody had to. And Vi was the one's like, hey, you know what? <laughs> too bad. I'm going for the Pro Bowl. <laughs> no, nobody was. Nobody was trying. Nobody was trying. But. I'm the 53rd man on the on the roster on the 53 man roster. I'm I'm trying to get my get a job the next year. So uh, that I'm is, the only one going 110. percent BYU and NBA star Danny Ainge joined the Wise Guys to talk about the challenge of guarding Michael Jordan. One last golf question about Michael Jordan because you were in his special. Uh, that um, yeah, the, was it 30 for 30? Well, it's just an ESPN. Special. Yeah, whatever it was was really good. Yeah. Um, what was it like guarding him when, when you see all the assignments are different and now you got 23? And then uh, what meant more, beating the Bulls on the Celtics or beating Jordan by yourself on the golf course? Oh, I mean, you know, um, you know he was – obviously he's not the same kind of golfer, so like beating him on the golf course is fun and exciting and he's good. I respect his game. But you but- were better? But I was, I think I was a little better, but beating him on the basketball court where you know he's not better. I mean, Michael Jordan, the one thing about him that you can't ever deny is his entire career, every playoff series, even in 86 when we had this stacked team, we beat them in three straight games in the, in the playoffs in the first round, but he was clearly the best player. Didn't he have 66 in one of those games? 60-something. something. Like that was one of the most fun games. I remember that game because – down the stretch, he and Larry were just ch- trading shots. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, no, he was, you know, he was so special. But even then, he was the best player. And then throughout the rest of his career, as he started winning championships, and you know, he got a little better team around him. Yeah. There was never a doubt at the end of any series that he was ever in who the best player in the world was. It was Michael Jordan. And you know, I don't know who else that's been. I don't know what other player even yeah. comes close to you know, being undefeated and being the best player in a playoff series every year. Did you enjoy your moments when you had to guard him as the ultimate yeah, challenge? Yeah. Uh, the ultimate challenge. And if you did stop him, it was, you know, a miracle. And if you didn't, like, so what? Nobody guards him. And But I, re- I remember a funny time in this 63-point game. And, was, <laughs> and uh, I got cu- accused of doing this a little bit more than the coaches or my teammates would have liked. But um, Walton fouls out guarding Jordan in an ISO. And he's screaming and cursing me out, like, quit switching. <laughs> Guard your own man. This is Walton yelling Walton, at yelling you. Yelling you at for me. Switching, switching with him. I, I go, hey, I just want you to be able to appreciate how hard it is. <laughs> <laughs> the great Marie Osmond joined the Wise Guys. As she was a student at BYU before her stardom kind of made that impossible. She joined the show and shared her love for America um, which was fantastic during our amazing visit. I had to perform the national anthem several times. Um, is, is that tough? It's one of those songs that you really should know the words 
and what why they were written mm-hmm. because it's very very moving but you better know what you're doing because when those jets fly overhead uh it will you'll go huh what so what so you perform stadium <laughs> of fire yes. the national anthem of the stadium of fire and i thought it was spectacular um and as you're finishing uh you're ready to sing home of the brave you look up and here come those three f-35s yeah uh, how do you what is that like what, what is that like for a performer to finish that song? And you see the Jets before everyone else because you're actually looking that way. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I, I thought, what, what's that like? When it's the most exhilarating. I mean, it brings tears to your right. eyes. Guys, I love this country. I mean, I, I have done many, many shows with USO. And yeah. Bob Hope was like mm-hmm. a second dad to me. And so when you see firsthand what our military does to allow us the freedoms that we do in this country... Um, ooh, I'm, it's so hard for me because I've been in those medical tents right. and, ooh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> I, I just, I don't understand people that don't honor them because they deserve it. Not just them, but their families. They sacrifice so much. And so anything I can do for them, I, and that's why I love this, this last show at, on the 4th yeah. is because it went worldwide to all of, of the servicemen and women. 170 countries, I think. Yeah, it was, it was like, I don't know how many millions Where the of air people. bases and... But they all saw that. Super Bowl champion and former Cougar Kyle Van Noy joined the Wise Guys to discuss his first visit with Bill Belichick, the Patriots coach, right after the Patriots traded with the Lions to get Van Noy into Foxborough. And here's what... Van Noy and Belichick talked about. You uh, Were you nervous to meet Bill Belichick, the... The master yeah, of the game? I, I forgot that in the story. So I didn't meet him until the middle of practice. Like, <laughs> he in punt, pra- punt practice, he's like twirling his whistle like he always does. And he was like, yo, Van Noy. And he like waves me over and he's like, man. He was like, he's like, there's some, he's like, let me tell you something. As he's twirling his whistle, he's like, I always get my guy. He's like, you've been one of my guys since you came out of college, and I'm sorry I couldn't get you in the draft, um, but I got you. And no, I'm gonna, I I want you to be successful. And just that, after everything I just went through, to have the greatest coach, one of the greatest defensive minds to ever give me give to play or coach in football to give me that confidence and still that right away it, it anything in my career before that it didn't even matter i had a clean place clean slate and i took off from there and it was awesome to finally have confidence and from somebody like that and that magnitude um in the middle of the season gave me that i just took off from there what a story you, you need to dictate the game defensively um, and I think that's why people want me to coach. Yeah, there you go. And it's, and it's interesting because because what you've been through, Kyle, you'll be the kind of coach that understands, like Bill Belichick understands. I'm gonna. This is my guy, and I'm gonna tell him he's my guy because I know if he's confident and he knows I believe in him, he's gonna play faster, he's gonna hit harder, he's gonna play loose, and he's gonna be a great player. He needs to know that I believe in him. What a difference that made for you. That's a great story, Kyle. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad I get that the rest of my life, too. I hope to take that, and I try to take that with anything I'm doing, whether it's business, whether it's speaking to a young kid that needs help, 
um, whoever, business people, just the amount that if you have the respect and the confidence and the humbleness to be on the same page and get exactly what you want communicated uh, is is key. I mean, that's half the problem with people that are going through marriage problems is communication. If yeah. people are just yeah, communicate, amen. you can do so many good things. And that's kind of try, what I try to do is just be a very, very good communicator. Eight-time PGA Tour winner Dan Forsman joined the Wise Guys to talk about what it was like competing on tour with Tiger Woods. Most everybody in the world will never be opposite Tiger Woods in a grouping in a tournament. But you have. What's it like? Well, it was the final round of the U.S. Open at uh, oh, Olympia man. Fields in Chicago, your, one of your favorite towns. <laughs> and it was... Uh, this, you know, the Sunday round, and I got the first tee, and he was very cordial. Tiger's a gentleman to play with, truly yeah. is. He's very aware of the distractions, all of his followers. And on the first tee, I can tell you, there must have been 50 cameras lined up, power winders, and you know, every time he, he took his pencil and put it in his pocket, you know, the power winders are firing. So it was clear that it was going to be uh, an exceptional day for me to, to witness. And, uh, you know, he didn't play his best that day, but he had some shots that under you know, that kind of U.S. Open challenge were hard to forget. Uh, the one that came to mind was a 17th hole, par three. It was about 240 yards. He had a foreign that was into the sun, and no one could see it, but it landed about six feet from the hole, and the whole place just erupted down there. It sounded like a you know, BYU touchdown last uh, Saturday night. So. But now well, you're beating him, and so what? What uh, he's got the pressure of all the cameras and all that stuff, <laughs> and you're over there <laughs> you're over there having a better day. Um, is that weird? No, you know, he had an off day, I think, that day. I don't remember the result, frankly. But uh, as I say, he was just a, a gentleman every time I had a chance to play with him. And um, he comported himself, you know, with great distinction. And, you know, he, could, he understands what he, what he means to the game of golf. And I was just really, really impressed and always have been the way he operates himself. I was at the Masters this last year, and uh, we followed Tiger a little bit. I, I don't, you know, he had just come back from the injury he wasn't 100 percent healthy obviously when he's trying to come up the hill as you finish you come up the hill uh at augusta national it's 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 not easy to walk it not especially not four days in a row right um and on a bad wheel but uh the crowds were just ridiculous and um just swarming around and running and trying to you know just get a peek I, I can't imagine how difficult that would be to focus and try to play golf with all of that going on around you. How does how has he done it for all this time? Well, it started early for him, didn't it? I mean, he won the three junior titles, U.S. juniors, and then he went on to win the U.S. amateur three times in a row. When it was he, he had to deal with all of that at a very early age. And I think uh, skill to do comes from doing, and I think that's how he was able to handle it. And his father, of course, is documented. He was yeah. influential in the, getting him to understand pressure and dealing with it and being able to perform under those circumstances. So, Sherry Dew is the executive vice president and chief content officer of Deseret Management Corporation, which oversees Deseret Book, Deseret News, KSL Television, and a bunch of other things. She's also an author and public speaker. But during her high school days in Ulysses, Kansas, she was a basketball star, but her shyness kept her from playing basketball at BYU, a decision she told us she regrets. You have written about a life lesson you learned in 1971 when there was a spot open on the BYU women's basketball team and you did not take it, go yeah. after it. Yeah, classic. Uh, and, and, and then uh, you've talked about never hiding your talents as, as a lesson 
from yeah. that, uh, if you could have a do-over, would you oh, be there gosh. for the first day? Yeah, yeah. In ret- when I, yeah, when I learned that they played that whole season one player short, and and literally Elaine Michaelis said to me, "I think I was looking for you." Well, who knows if I could have made the team? I don't know. Oh, who knows you, if you I could have made, made the team. Yeah, but twenty-three and seventeen. Is yeah, you could have been. A, but, and and when I think of basketball, high school basketball. The two states that come to mind for me are Indiana and Kansas. Yeah. It's yeah. good basketball yeah. in those states and always has been. Yes, so that's true. If, and this you're going, if you're 23 and 17 in the state of Kansas, you can play at BYU. And it was just a couple years before. But I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And looking in the, and looking, cracking open the gym door in the Richards PE building where they're, and I'm going, oh man, those girls look really good. I don't think I can do it. And I just, I, I just like I froze. I couldn't go in. And, and, that, I, and it kills me that I made that mistake. And now you stare into the eyes of young women all over the world and you say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Step out. Say, okay, ask for help. Ask for God's help. Pray. Ask for courage. But don't do that and then wonder for years if you could have made it. And I would have never found out about that opening, by the way, if I hadn't been speaking to all the, the girls on scholarship in the various, at a thing down here. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I think I'm going to tell them how much I envy them and how proud I am of them, really. How envious I am that they've been able to do something I kind of always wish I could. I, th- I think I'll tell them that story, which I had never told. Hmm. And Elaine Michaels happened to be sitting in the audience, and that's when she said, uh, you want to know something about that team? Here's the yeah, rest what? of the story. It was the rest of the story. Yeah. Wow. BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo has four Super Bowl rings, all with the 49ers. Before that, he was a defensive back at BYU. His love for the game has kept him young at heart. Tom Homo here tonight on The Wise Guys. This game of football is giving you the high of highs, four-time WAC champion, four-time Super Bowl champion. It's also brought you to your knees. Had job at Cal, didn't work out like you'd hoped. You become an associate director at BYU, associate athletic director in the middle of a firestorm uh, where a lot of uh, the head coaches dismiss, a number of others are out. And then 2005, you become the athletic director. And here you are getting ready for another season. So Blaine and I would like to know what it is about this love for this game that you have that has kept you yeah. through it all believe me that's what it is i mean it's just i love the game i love the people that play it and uh, one of the things i've learned at byu is you know i have, I, I played football baseball basketball and ran track when i was a kid growing up and you know when you start concentrating on football in college and pro but when i got to byu one of the things people asked me as a coach i i had failed as a coach as a head coach i, I felt that i had done a good job as an assistant but as a head coach i had failed but when I got to BYU, the question was going to be for our family. Lavelle brought me back and said, hey, you need to come chill out mm-hmm. at BYU. <laughs> yeah. You know, we'll see. You come here. It's your people. You'll, you'll give us something good. But after that, you determine what you want to do. And then so people say, you want to coach? You want to get back into coaching? But when I was there, I got to know all the other athletes from the other sports, yeah. women's teams, men's teams. And I found out it's just not the football team. All these kids are dynamite. They're strong. They're beautiful. They're courageous. They're vulnerable. They have highs. They have lows. They have dreams. Some of them have come from terrible situations. Some of them are going to make it. Some of them aren't. And, and that was just like being on a team. Yeah. So I kind of put myself in a position to say, all right, I'm not going to be their coach, 
but I'm going to mentor a lot of these kids, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend more of my time than maybe some of my peers that are really, really good at um, compliance or business or fundraising or whatever marketing. I, I didn't have any of those skills, so I just went back to Lavelle, and he hired a bunch of people to do that. So I right. hired a bunch of people. <laughs> we all learned that. that from Lavelle. And then I spent the time that most of my time just connecting with the coaches and the players. And yeah. like, you know, like just, I'm going to go to, uh, I don't know, I might go to 100 games this year. Right. When, it, when you add them all up and uh, all the different sports. And every one of them will be my bliss. That's what I do. I love it. And your wife's such a good sport because oh, she's man. sitting right yeah, next to you. And, and each one of our teams and each one of the sports brings a uniqueness to the, the kind of the acumen of that sport and what they need to do to fulfill it. But the leadership, the culture, all those things are the same. Jimmer Fredette is one of the most exciting basketball players who ever suit up for BYU. He had some really big nights in his college career, including one in particular at Arizona. Hey, so we're going to go down memory lane here. We're going to throw a date in the score, and then we want you to tell us something unique about that night. Now, you, you won a lot of games, and but we've picked the best of the best. You ready? All right, let's do it. Let's go December 28, 2009. You score 49 at Arizona, which is a McHale Center record. What happened that night? Uh, what an unbelievable night. I mean, no one expected us to go in that night and beat Arizona. They were a top 10 team uh, at the McHale Center. They never lose in that arena. Amazing fans. And right from the get-go, like, I just was feeling it for some reason. I had a bunch of threes in the first half. I think Jackson scored a bunch. Um, you know, guys were just – we were just feeling really good offensively and defensively. I think I had like nine threes that game. Um, well, I think uh, somewhere in that area. And uh, just the, the basket was huge, right? And then <laughs> I just remember at the end, the, the fans at the McHale Center giving us a standing ovation as we left. And that was something that I remember. Wow. On, on a night like that, when you say the basket was huge, what's that like when, when you say the basket is huge? Yeah, no, it just is you get into this zone. It's kind of like when you're work, like I try to always, you know, uh, liken it to when I'm working out, right? Like when I work out, I try to find a zone when I'm playing where I'm just zoning out and I'm actually just making shots effortlessly, not thinking about it at all, not worrying about anything that's going on. It's just the ball's going up and making baskets and you can end up making 20, 25, 30 in a row from three, and you're not even thinking about it. And then I try to translate that into the game where it's like, that's the same thing. I'm just going through my workout, basically. It doesn't matter what the defense is doing. It doesn't matter what they're trying to do. I have a counter for all of it. And once I get to my spot, if I get that shot up, I feel like it's going in. So you just feel like you're in that zone, like you're working out, uh, getting your shots off like there was no one there and nothing, and, and you're just in an empty gym by yourself. BYU football player Chase Roberts earned SportsCenter's number one play of the day when he made that one-handed touchdown grab to beat Arkansas. Chase might also be the only college football player who speaks a certain foreign language. And, and where, where did you go on your mission? I was in Canada, so the Calgary mission. Okay. Um, so, so what was harder? Calgary, Alberta. Learning the BYU playbook or learning to speak Tagalog? Yeah, so I spoke, I spoke Tagalog. There's, okay. there's a lot of Filipino people there. Yeah. Um, it was definitely harder. <laughs> you know, being in a con like, country where it's mo like, mostly English, 
you had to like learn, like study the language because you weren't immersed in it. Yeah. Like if I went to the Philippines and was immersed, I'd be able to pick it up a little quicker. But I had to mm. study the language and, you know, try to get people to talk to me as much as I can in Tagalog and so that I could learn it. But you still got it? I still, I still feel like uh, I Earl. Uh, <laughs> no, wait. Some, who is this? There's some um, Filipinos on the. <laughs> Blue Cougar wants to. Blue Cougar says, I'd like to hear Chase speak some Tagalog. So introduce yourself as you yeah. would have uh, as a missionary in Tagalog. Yeah. yeah so, Kamusta? Ako si Elder Roberts or Chase Roberts. At missionary ako sa Calgary. At mahal ko ang mga Pilipino. Mahal ko ang Evangelio ni Jesucristo. At yung Baka Mormon. Um, ay totoo um, yun, yun yung uh, toto, uh, totoo ko at uh, pangalan sa pangalan ni Jesucristo Amen that's yeah. fantastic in Texas it's y'all gonna let us in or not that was, that's how we <laughs> do Travis Hansen was a star at BYU and an even bigger star in the European League overseas he told the wise guys that when he was in college he actually tried to quit the team three times so I wanted to quit three times in my career. Really? The first year was um, with Heath, Heath Schroyer at BYU. I was, uh, I was newly, maybe a sophomore at BYU, and I was so tired. Missionary feet, dipping them, dipping them in Epsom salt, skin falling off, legs were killing me. I was done. Like, I, I, was, I was done. I told my wife, babe, I can't, I can't do this. She's like, you, look, it's your choice, but you committed. You commit. At least finish the year out. And I was mentally, you know, done. And and she said, just finish the year out. Finish the year out. Never thought about quitting again at BYU. Yeah. Get to the NBA. NBA is tough. I mean, the environment's tough. The people are tough. I'm not playing very well. I broke my foot. I'm in a, I'm in a, in a brace. I'm not playing really well. I, stopped, I called my dad. I'm done. I can make money doing something else. And he's kind of like, well, you're making pretty good money for a <laughs> first year. That's what dads <laughs> do. So now, son, think of this through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might want to think this. Go ahead, keep talking. So you know, and um, and says you know, might want to want to think this through. Might want to might want to commit. And and you signed a contract. You got a responsibility. This is a job, and this is you know, you need to do your best. And third was at Spain. The first year in Spain, I played for a guy named Dusko, and I, I practiced so much, overtrained so much that my right calf turned black. I broke every muscle in my calf, mm. and um, I hated it hated running in the mountains and training. And, and again, I told my wife, babe, I think I'm done. I'll go do something else. And again, the credit goes to her, you know, she's like, you know, kind of suck it up, bro. You got other teammates that have been here five years. It can't be that hard, you know, maybe because you came from the South NBA or something. This is, you know, Europe's tough. And, and uh, it's okay. So, you know, these people not allowing me to quit, but instead validating me and, and sustaining me and even, kind of inspiring me to stay in it uh, absolutely changed my life. And so, so people come on the show and they always tell us these stories, Travis, which, um, you know, Mark Wilson was on with us. I, you remember the great Mark Wilson, for, you know, first round oh, yeah. draft pick of the Oakland Raiders. Mark was telling us the time he went into Lavelle Edwards' office and quit. And Lavelle talked him out of it. And then he yep. came back and, uh, and uh, ended up being a first round draft pick. So yeah. I think we all have to have somebody that, that validates us and tells us, no, nah, you can keep doing this. 
when we when we come across that's that's th those are great stories. We appreciate. Steve it. Young may be the most recognizable BYU graduate in the entire world. Certainly a big star in the NFL and a Hall of Famer. He's got a new book out called The Law of Love, which is available at DeseretBook.com. Uh, I love I love the line in your book that reads, "The law of love is undefeated." Expound on that and your motivation to write write that that's book. That's great. So, I, I think it's important to define the law of love, which is uh, loving as God loves. Which, if you think about the scripture, uh, "My work and my glory is bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man." There's no what God gets. God gets glory through our glory. So, in other words, His love for us is outward. In other words, I, I don't receive, there's no deal that I'm making. I only receive through your, my, my love for you is to grow and, 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 and receive glory. And that's the idea. That's the whole point of life. And so if we're going to do that, then we need to receive how we receive glory is through others and, and, and seeing others and, and watching for them and, 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 and having a language of healing and peace and, and prosperity and abundance and how do I what are my relationships look like uh, and um, and in doing that that's how you to me that's the irony of the quote uh, from the scriptures um, lose yourself and you'll find yourself is that you in the irony is in loving as God loves which is the law of love in and seeking other people's healing that's how you receive ironically the full measure of heaven and uh, and so doing that Law of love is undefeated because all the other laws of God are are kind of of this world. They're more self-interested. Things that I do to receive things, kind of like transactional. I'm going to be obedient because then I'm going to receive something. Yeah. And and anything that's self-interested over time, no matter how righteous, will rot in self-interest. And the only things that are perpetual, the only things that last forever, is outwardly seeking others' healing. And so in that, if you think about a law that has to be, if there's a law in heaven, it has to be a perpetual law. It has to be, it can't rot. It can't, you know, uh, and so that's the idea that it's undefeated forever. If you ever, if you ever down, you know, it's like, that's why I say we're always called wounded healers. The wounded healers of the world, that's all of us. That's our capacity. Because we're all, we're all wounded. We all have the capacity to heal others. And as we seek Moroni, I was always say, if I ever get a tattoo, I'm going to have it be say Moroni seven. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 where it all that uh, start, starts and stops and ends right there is the idea that we can have transfigured eyesight to see other humans as God sees other humans, and in that sacred way, we have in the restored gospel an ability to to understand why because of preexistence, because we're all divine, because heavenly parents that have a design for us to grow. All of that gives us a great superstructure to understand what we're trying to do and then all we're supposed to do is help the savior in the atonement extend into every relationship wherever we are and i always tell people what what, what relationships well every relationship i was just at the left i was just late here trying to turn left at the green light the arrow behind a guy and the arrow turned green and he didn't go <laughs> and i'm going to be late for you guys and now we're in a relationship you know, like, <laughs> we're in a relationship and so what what What's the most healing, peaceful, kind of abundant way to deal with that relationship that I'm in now? And I decided that despite my desire to honk, I decided <laughs> to just take a breath. Just breathe. Just breathe through it. If he misses the whole light, maybe I'll figure out how to say something to him. But I don't know if he'll miss the whole light. So just let it breathe. And then he saw it, left, and went on. And then he and I are now 
in a more abundant relationship because he's not, you know. Dr. Derwin Gray, former BYU defensive back and pastor of the Transformation Church in South Carolina. During his Cougar days, he was a stud in the secondary, and he explained to Wise Guys why he was one of the reasons Ty Detmer won the Heisman Trophy. Hey, here's, here's a question for you. How important was your role, and we've had Ty on here, in helping Ty Detmer win the Heisman Trophy? Well, you know, so first of all... <laughs> Ty Detmer is one of those people that he's groomed by his father. I mean, Ty woke up in high school. He didn't eat breakfast first. He threw the ball first. So, you know, so Ty comes to BYU. He's in the West Coast offense. You got Coach Child. You got Coach French. You got Coach Rim. I mean, you it's stacked, right? So, I played a part in that because I was on the team. Uh, but that offensive line, they loved the block for him. Um, Andy Boyce, who ran a forever in a 40, would just be open all day long. Chris Smith was amazing at tight end. You had the running backs. You had like Matt Bellini, who that 69, what is it, 69 H option? Oh, I think it was. That's the play, 69 H option. Red Wright, 69H. I mean, Bellini was unstoppable. I mean, you had Nyberg. You had you had so many great players. And Ty was just so competitive. And all of us, that was our Heisman. Like, that wasn't just Ty's. Like, that was our Heisman. And uh, it, it's, it's pretty cool to go, you know what? From the same city in San Antonio – I got to play with a Heisman Trophy winner. But that's not my favorite Ty Detmer story, though. And let's hear it. My, my favorite Ty Detmer story is both of us from San Antonio. We're from Texas, so that means we like to fish. And there used to be a golf course in South Provo. I don't yeah. even know if it's, it, it, it's East Bay now, but it used to be called Timpanogos Golf Course. Okay, yeah. So, so behind the golf course was this gnarly – river creek thing and man we would just slay channel catfish all day long like cattails and mossy just like the south right oh yeah i mean we were were just slaying them and so i actually have a picture of us that my wife and i lived in wymount terrace we came to wymount terrace i kept the catfish My, my wife's like you ain't keeping those here so we actually took them back and they still live. Oh, you can't kill a catfish. You can't kill a catfish. Yeah, it was. Elijah Bryant had a unique journey from BYU to winning an NBA championship. He left the Cougars a year early for the draft, but he didn't get drafted. So he went to Europe. Eventually, the Milwaukee Bucks called, and a few days later, Bryant made his NBA debut on the last day of the regular season against the Chicago Bulls. So yeah. Elijah Bryant, former BYU star, international star currently, is with us and is one of his rare North American interviews. That's, That's right. what we'll call them, a rare yes. North American interview. Let's go to May 16th, 2021. After all the hopes and dreams and all that stuff, growing up wanting to play in the NBA, you're in the NBA. The Bulls are the opponent. You're playing for the Bucks. It's your one and only, so far, NBA regular season game, and you go for 16 points. So let's talk about the first basket that you made. Do you remember the moment, the feeling, or was it just all locked in business? No, I remember it because I remember uh, 
it was a it was a tight race um, during the standings, and I remember the coaches walking, uh, watching the game, and kind of figure out who's playing, who's not playing. And then once they kind of figured out who's playing, they came in. You know, you're dressing, and all of a sudden, I remember I was in the back, and I was like, because the warm ups, like I had never really worn the warm ups, so I was like. The other guys were laughing. I was, like, practicing ripping off the headlocks. <laughs> and they were just, like, die laughing. And I'm like, bro, I'm not going to be the first time out there and get embarrassed and not be able to rip them off. <laughs> so uh, we come out to the court. They get kind of notification that I think Cleveland won or Brooklyn won. So this game didn't matter. So all the main guys, you know, I'm not playing, whatever. And main guys, we're talking about some of the best in the world. Yeah, Giannis, Drew, you know. Uh, so Giannis to us, and I've not been next to Giannis yeah. and haven't called games when he was yeah. in college or any of that. We get around a lot of athletes, but he seems like a freak among freaks. Is he, like, yeah, great to play with? He's a Greek freak, obviously. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. very, very athletic. Nobody uh, that big and that long is supposed to be able to run and jump and exactly, do all that, right? Exactly. It's, it's very, yeah, it's freaky. So you're on the bench, <laughs> and the coach looks at you and says, Bryant, you're in? What, yeah, what so was that moment? I remember it because I was sitting next to Drew, and we had the COVID mask on because you had to wear a mask on yeah. the bench. And good thing we did because it felt like, like, I feel like I could see my heart, like, bouncing from my chest before he called me in. Because I knew, like, you kind of know, like, okay, like, they've been in for five minutes. Like, someone's about to get subbed out. Someone yeah. finally calls me in. I'm just making sure I take everything off, right? Because in the NBA, you can, ha- you can wear whatever you want on the sideline in terms of, like, warm-up. So, mask, this shirt, that shirt, pants. Okay, I'm off. I'm in. I told myself, like, to calm the nerves, as soon as I get in and touch it, if I'm open, I'm shooting it. I'm shooting. It. That's the first thing I'm doing. You're going to shoot. That's going to calm your nerves. You're exactly. just going to shoot it. I'm just going to shoot no it. No matter where you're no at. No matter where I'm at. If I'm open, I'm shooting it. <laughs> so I come running down the middle of the court, and I catch it wide open and just let it go. And, I'm, and it goes in, obviously. So and we're out way past the three-point line it, or what? It was a re- regular three. But the NBA three, people don't understand, is, like, really far if you're coming right. from Europe. And I had just arrived, like, a few few days ago, right? So I shoot it, and it goes in. And, and finally, I just feel like, Okay, I'm I'm here. Did, like it's did you have a sense of so you could, took a breath, right? You're like, okay, I'm here. Yeah. I made a bucket, and I can settle in. But did you feel like this could be good? That felt good coming out of my hand. You know exactly. how that is. What yeah. like yeah. some days it feels great coming yeah. out of your hand. Yeah. Did it feel like that? It felt like that, and it kind of felt like this is basketball. I've been playing this my whole life, you know. And there wasn't that many fans there at the time because because COVID. I don't even remember if there were fans there, but then it was just like a regular basketball game. Everything zoned out, and then now we're just playing. Obviously, guys are faster, stronger, but it's just basketball. But you get Amber Whiting is the women's head basketball coach at BYU. She's in her second season. Prior to her getting the job, as customary in the interview process in this kind of a job, she had to sit down with Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Here's how that went. So a protocol at BYU and being considered for head coaching positions to interview with the general authority mm-hmm. and uh, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that sponsors the school. You meet with Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, former mm-hmm. president of BYU, a good friend of ours over the years, and a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, also on the Board of Trustees. Um, what stood out to you the most during that interview with him that you can share with us? Um, how personable he was. Super intimidating, right, to go up there in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I walked in, and they asked my husband to be with me, so he came. And I just remember looking across the desk, and he had a full report on me and a picture of us as a family from the airport, like, literally two days before. And I'm sitting there like, he is going to see straight through my soul. <laughs> and you just get so nervous. But he started telling me, he started with jokes yeah. and just relaxed us and just just actually talked to me personally and gave me really good advice through the process, right? And advice that I wrote down on my phone, and I just keep going back to that. Like and, what? Like what would be the top of the um, thing? 
just do, the, do the right things the right way. Yeah. And just keep, just kept iterate, reiterating that to me that, you know, if you do the right things the right way, the wins are going to come. Yeah. And what a unique experience with, with, with Elder Holland where yeah. he, he was down here as the president of the university back when I was playing. I don't know if there's a person on the earth that loves BYU oh, more than he's, President he's, Holland. He's amazing. <laughs> Before I left, I just, I mean, that opportunity probably will never come, right? Like, just to be in that room with him, just him. Well, when they call you on a mission, okay. you'll probably see him again. <laughs> yeah, you'll someday. see him again. But I just was like, can I give you a hug? Like, I just had to. You know what I yeah. mean? But he just makes you feel that way. And yeah. I love it. I love that you go into his office and you see all his BYU stuff. It, you yeah. know? it's And he's, we were there for an interview with, with KSL a few years back. And I said, I, I, I mistakenly called him President Holland because he was the president when I was at BYU. And that's just – and I, said, I corrected myself. He goes – President Holland is the greatest title I've ever held in my life. Those years at BYU were the most meaningful years of my life. That's him saying it, and, and he means it, and, and, and it sounds like you felt that. Yeah. It's really cool. So when you left the room, did you go, okay, I got this job. I'm ready to go. No. Didn't. No, I, I mean, you don't know, right? Like, and I so just, what were your feelings after that meeting? We You're just like, got in the car or in the truck, and then we looked at each other, and I just was like, I want this so bad. Like, I just could just, you know. And then I got a call, hey, can you come down to BYU? And the way they said it to me, I just thought, okay, just be classy. Like, just take it like, man, you know, or just say congratulations, just who, and just move on, right? Like, just, yeah. just keep it together is basically what I was telling myself. Because you didn't I, think you were going to get no, it? No, no, I didn't. And so then we drove down, and the whole way I was just shaking. And then I got there, and they opened the door, and they're like, hey, coach, and just kind of hugged me. And I was like, I just started crying. So like, then you knew. Austin Colley is arguably the best receiver to ever play at BYU. During his heyday, he caught passes from the biggest names in the game, both in college and in the NFL. And he noticed a specific characteristic about each one of them. Played, so he played with Max Hall, um, who's a great competitor, all-time winningest quarterback in BYU history. And since you were the receiver, you're probably the all-time winningest receiver in BYU history. Nobody ever talks about that. Played with Peyton Manning. He also played with Tom Brady. Right, so mm -hmm. yeah, who whose personality was the toughest to deal with? <laughs> um, off the field or on the field? Either, either, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like I, I have always made an effort to make the quarterback my best friend. I found out early that that was probably a smart business decision. Make sure you befriend the quarterback. Absolutely. And uh, you know, thankfully, all the guys that I played with have. have you know, we, we have found that kind of common ground as far as, you know, uh, what, it, you know, what we want to do. And that was to win ball games. And every single one of the quarterbacks I had had unbelievable amount of work ethic, which I admired and which I try to kind of match, you know, every, all three of those are, are all three of those guys are, are very different and unique in their own way, but they are all some of the, the greatest competitors that I've played with that were not afraid to, to put in the time and put in the reps to continue to get better. And that's ultimately what they all wanted to do is kind of see how, you know, what their ceiling was and weren't afraid to put the work in to do it. So who of the three was the most competitive? We know Max and he's got to be up there, but of those three and two of those are elite NFL guys. And one's an elite BYU guy. Who was the most competitive? Yeah. I, I don't think there's uh, anybody that's more competitive than Peyton is. Really? Yeah. And, and Tom's up there as well, right? I'm a bit biased because Peyton's my guy, but yeah. Um, yeah, I thought I worked hard. I thought I prepared hard when I was at BYU, and and, and it was you know it paled in, in you know in comparison to what Peyton and the time that he would put in and the time that Tom would put in, right? Like it is night and day, nonstop, 
And really, that's why, you know, I, I felt like I hit a different level when I got to the league. And it was it was really all thanks to him just because of that the standard that he held for his teammates and the standard that he held for me. Right. Like I knew what was expected, what was going to be expected of me. I mean, most of these guys in the huddle was the same group. It was the same group that won the Super Bowl in 2006. I think I me and Pierre Garçon were the only missing or the only pieces of the puzzle that were different wow. from an offensive standpoint. And so it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of a high pressured situation. And I, since I was the only different part of that, that yeah, offense, sure. any, any decline in performance, obviously they'd be looking at me saying, yo, you need to get your, your act together because this isn't how we roll. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. And, no and we wonder how teams, we wonder how teams win championships. That's how they right. win championships. Yeah. That kind that yeah, kind just, of expectation, right? You got to expect yeah. to win and oh, expect absolutely. everybody to put the work in to win. Right. Absolutely. Delaney Gibb is one of the top high school basketball players in Canada. She announced her intention to play at BYU, and then just a few minutes later, she joined the Wise Guys Live to explain why. Speaking of coming to Provo, yes. a few minutes ago, four-star guard Delaney Gibb announced her commitment to Amber Whiting's basketball program at BYU, choosing the Cougars over just about everybody. A 5'10 superstar from Raymond, Alberta, heralded as among the best young Canadian players in the country. ESPN ranks her number 48 among the top 100. She's number two in all of Canada for her age group. I've seen her play. She's got a gift for the game. She'll play her senior year in Canada and join the Cougars for year two in the Big 12. And Delaney joins us live from Alberta at her big announcement party. And there she is. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Way to go. Way to make a great choice, Delaney. Congratulations. <laughs> we're, we're a little biased, but we think you made a great choice. T tell us why you chose BYU. Um... Uh Honestly, I went on visits basically everywhere and BYU just felt like home to me. Um, I have cousins and grandparents that went to BYU. Um, and really, I just felt comfortable there and felt like it's somewhere where I can be great. You are familiar with Provo. You played your freshman year at Timfew just down the road from us, even though we call our show at an undisclosed location. Yeah, but uh, he keeps giving it away, Delaney. Like, people are going to start coming here because he's giving away our site. But, look, as a freshman, your first team All-State, is that when you thought to yourself, hey, you know what, I'm going places with basketball? Honestly, yeah, for sure. Um, when I was younger, I just played to have fun. Like, I just really enjoyed playing basketball. But I think that um, – that year, my freshman year, and then leading into like spring ball and AAU was when I really like decided like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to be really good. And things kind of just took off from there. You know, in, in one season uh, at the helm, Amber Whiting pulled together the highest recruiting class in program history. This last year's recruit, recruiting class, remarkable. You're the headliner now for the second class, for her second yeah. class coming in for this 24-25 season. What did you see in Amber Whiting and her staff that can help her uh, and help you further develop your game? Um, I really love Amber. Um, I think she's a great coach and she's super hardworking and she pushes every athlete to do the same. Um, and yeah, I think she's doing something special. Um, she's uh, changing the program, getting great recruits to come. And so, yeah, I'm just super excited. 
Tell us about BYU basketball star Danny Ainge won two NBA championships with the Boston Celtics. That included a lot of playing time with the legendary Larry Bird. He joined the Wise Guys to talk about what that was like. But was there ever a time when you're out there with Larry when you said, hey, Larry, how about getting me the ball? <laughs> no, that didn't happen. Not one time. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember just to put in perspective, I remember I'm coming off of screens and, you know, like I said, I could get shots, you know, with those guys setting screens yeah. when I wanted. And uh, the coach pulls me aside, Bill Fitch, and he says, okay, like, what do you, what do you expect to make on that shot? I go, I don't know, 52% I'm going to make on those turnouts. And he's going, like, what does he shoot? Points to Larry. I go, yeah, 60. He goes, what does he shoot? And points to Mikhail. He goes, 60. <laughs> and it's like, uh, do you get my point? <laughs> like, we don't need 52% shots, uh, you know, coming, wow. off, coming off of down screens. And so, like, it just kind of it changed me, but it, it, it was right. You yeah. know, if you're going to try to win, you know, like, those guys are just so special. They have to have the ball. You know, I see the game now, and it's completely different. And I saw throughout my – I remember we had a kid named Connor Henry who showed up maybe three years after this incident. He mm-hmm. came in for a 10-day contract out of the G League, and he doesn't know any better, right? He's coming off screen. He's got his one crack at the NBA, and he's making all these shots. And I'm going, like, how? why is someone not saying it to him? Like, he's <laughs> can't, like, shooting those shots. But, um, you know, there's part of it that um, – you know, winning is what it's all about, and um, you know, changing your game to win and conform to what's best for your team. Uh, I did, I did have a good time. You know, I think I scored probably my ten highest scoring games of my career were when Bird didn't play or Mikhail or oh, both yeah. of them didn't play, and so we used to have shoot around and like auction off or or bet on those shots. Like I get ten of Larry's shots tonight. If I make <laughs> oh, shot. Larry's not I get playing. Three of his shot, Mikhail's <laughs> shots, and so. That was uh, that, that, those were fun games, but um, you know, playing with those guys, obviously, we won a couple championships, went to the finals four years in a row, and yeah. and those guys were a dream to play with. How, how long uh, were you there? Now you're you're face to face with, you're playing, you're a teammate. Before you, and was there a moment where you're just about Larry Bird? Whoa, this dude is really special, and he's different than all the rest. And did that moment, or did you already know that before you got there? Yeah, I knew it before I got there, but there are moments when you're there and up close and personal and you see everything that about, about him, his work ethic. And, um, you know, the thing that stands out is his confidence. You know, I always consider myself a confident player, but, you know, Larry was an entirely different level. Uh, I mean, there's so many stories I have about just him taking games over and, you know, we coach you call a play and like he's not running the play. Like it's just <laughs> okay, he's just gonna take it and score. Like but he just had so much belief in himself and he could get a shot, you know, with double teams at the end of games. Like teams knew what we were running and they'd still like he'd still get a quality look off it at being six ten and and being able to shoot the way he did. Ty Detmer won BYU's only Heisman Trophy, and he did it in 1990, the same year the Cougars knocked off number one-ranked Miami in Provo. Ty's now a high school football coach in Arizona where he's noticed the significant impact name, image, and likeness is having on the game he loves. When you think of BYU and, and SMU, and when you think of SMU, the death penalty usually follows with, with what they went through for paying players. 
Uh, under today's standard, I don't think that would have ever happened. And we've mentioned all the time, Jerry Tarkanian was a pioneer. Oh, with yeah, what he, he, st- had he going started on. NIL. Down Jerry Tarkanian in- did at UNLV. But what, what as, as the game moves forward, and you're a high school football coach, so you're sending kids into this system, um, do you see uh, money just becoming the factor of where a kid goes? Well, I think, first of all, I think kids – a, a lot of kids think they're going to make a lot of money in college and, and it's probably very few that actually do make, you know, some money to, to really make a difference at the collegiate level, you know? So there's probably, it's probably sorting itself out a little bit now and, and incentive based more so than just giving a guy a bunch of money to come to school there and, and he not even play or leave the next year and transfer somewhere else that wants to pay him. So um, I think people are starting to figure out that part of it a little bit, boosters and donors and, and the kids are kind of probably realizing that there's not as much there as they originally thought, or, you know, the, the incentive to go is, is less than maybe they thought. But, you know, for me, it's more, um, you know, where coaches leave and they take half the team with them or, uh, eight mm-hmm. or 10 players. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's gotta be like prior contact and, and some rules enforced, um, that, that kind of prevent that happening, you know, with the guy taking six or eight guys with them and, and Deion Sanders, you know, bringing in <laughs> six or seven guys from his team and, and, uh, forcing other kids on the team to leave at that time. So it's, uh, it's kind of the wild, wild West, but, um, you know, something's got to be done to kind of rein it in a little bit. And uh, a big part of it is, is you, the, uh, the red shirt part of it, you know, you look at coaches, I know the quarterback and the starting receiver at Houston a few years ago played the first four games. They were one in three and said, all right, we're done. We're going to transfer next year. So we're just going to, we're going to be done. And as a head coach, you know, you're you're expected to win games and the pressure's on to be successful. And, you know, guys, guys livelihood, they're getting fired and and things after seasons that they're kind of out of control, um, out of their control. Uh, you know, Dallin Holker, for example, I'm sure coaches were counting on him and and uh, it's his right to do those things. I'm not faulting him, but the system is kind of broken, you know, where a kid can play the first four games and then decide to sit out the rest of the year. And now as coaches, you put all this time and energy in the spring and August practices and the kid quits and, and leaves on you. And, uh, and that's happening for a lot of, a lot of kids across the board. So, you know, maybe make the red shirt part. If you, if you, if you don't play, you can play in the last four games, you know, and, and that's your, your red shirt. But if you play game week one or anywhere week one through week six, that counts as a season and uh, you're not able to just go and quit on, on the team and, and leave coaches hanging. So it's, you know, the system's broken the way it is. They've got to figure it out. And, and then the transfer portal, we all know that's a mess and a quarterback leaves one school, they bring in, you know, two from another. And uh, it's just, something's got to give here in the next couple of years or, or we're just in a free for all and everybody's, open season every year let's wrap up the show seems appropriate for this week with byu grad and broadway star libby lloyd she's blaine's daughter and during her recent visit on the wise guys she sang the christmas waltz and here it is with blaine on the guitar here's a great libby lloyd singing the karen carpenter classic the christmas waltz Blaine on the guitar wise guys youtube facebook twitch and ysguys.com yep 
Happy holidays from the wise guys. We hope to see you again starting next Monday night from 6 to 8 Mountain Time on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and YSGuys.com as Blaine and I review 2023, the year in Cougar sports on the wise guys. For now, I'm Dave McCann. We wish you all a Merry Christmas.